This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. If you work as a cybersecurity leader, you might have the sentiment that compliance sucks. The traditional manual requests such as screenshots, spreadsheets, long meetings with auditors, really it's not a great experience. But luckily there's ByteCheck, a platform designed to make compliance suck less. With ByteCheck, you can establish your security program, automate your readiness assessment, and complete your SOC 2 examination faster, all from one single platform. Built with a robust set of integrations that connect to apps you use every single day. The ByteCheck integrations eliminate traditional manual evidence requests. The ByteCheck platform is powered by the ByteCheck engine, which automatically assesses your controls against audit and security best practices. ByteCheck is founded by cybersecurity and accounting industry leaders with a combined experience of over 30 years. That knowledge is ingrained into the ByteCheck engine to provide you with a quality report that meets applicable standards. If you're in the market for a SOC 2, we have a special limited time offer for Hacker Valley Studio listeners. You can get 50% off their annual subscription to the ByteCheck platform and a free readiness report from the ByteCheck team. Reach out to ByteCheck at www.bytecheck.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. This is a limited time offer, so get it while you can. In this episode, we have the incredible Jason Meller. He's the CEO of Collide and also the champion of something that he's calling Honest Security. Without further ado, let's get right to this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again in the studio today. We have an individual that has dedicated their career to building products and tools that enable security for organizations. Our guest today is Jason Meller, founder and CEO of Collide. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Jason, one of the words that I would use to describe you is authentic. Ever since I've met you, every single meeting we've had, you're one of the most truly authentic people I've ever met, and especially when it comes to helping people in security. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk with everybody. As you said, I'm I'm the founder and CEO of Collide, and and what we do at Collide is we build honest security, a topic that we're going to talk about today, for teams that Slack. But I've been in security my whole life. Even I before Collide, I was doing stuff at Fire. I was the chief security strategist there. Uh, I started my career at the GE Cert as an Intel analyst under the tutelage of Richard Baitlick, who taught me everything I needed to know about network security monitoring. But even going all the way back, I was a little bit of a script kitty in the 90s, learning Visual Basic so I could build like my own AOL punters and stuff like that. So <laughs> I've been just obsessed with security my whole life. And that authenticity that you talk about, it's not something that I was born with. It, it was something that I had to earn over time. And it really came down to having a lot of empathy for the folks that at one point I was learning and building my skills and actually being somewhat of a, a, a bad actor. And then switching gears and actually joining the defender side of the house and actually defending networks and understanding 
what was really at stake and understanding how much honesty really plays into that. Thanks for having me on and definitely want to live up to the intro that you gave me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let's just jump right into the, the meat of the matter. What is honest security? Yeah, so honest security is really a term of art that we're that we're trying to create, but it describes something that I think already exists and that a lot of folks really want to point towards and say specifically about the state of the world right now, which is you have security tools that are out there today, and they're there to give the security team as much information and access as possible so that they could do their detection mission, they can perform their detection mission, and they can keep their organizations as secure as possible. The problem is, is with these tools today, they very much mimic or have a lot of the same functionality as spyware or surveillance tools. And they're really designed to scrutinize all the actions and events that happen on the devices that end users are utilizing for their daily life at work. The problem today is that this sort of power dynamic where the security team has all this access, but really has no real authority over them, really making sure that they're using it responsibly, creates this dishonest dichotomy. More specifically, the security team is really in a position where they are not held accountable for the things that they're looking at as they try to perform their detection mission. They can look at web traffic, they can understand what processes are running on the device. And the end users of today they're no longer sitting in cubicles. They're, they're in their house. They're surrounded by their family. Maybe their significant other is using their computer. And it's really not appropriate anymore for that level of access to be the norm without some transparency and some knowledge being sent back to the end users to give them that perspective and understand what, that's, what that surveillance is really doing and why it's there. So honest security is really about challenging that norm that exists today. And it's specifically about making sure that the relationship between the security team and the end users is created, it's trustworthy, and it can be fostered to actually be a really great resource for the security team. So it's all about building up that relationship and starting on this concrete structure of trustworthiness and honesty. And that really comes down to being open and honest about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, from the security team perspective. So that's what honest security is in a nutshell. I really like this philosophy, and I'm sure we've all been in the situation to where we see an icon at the top right of our screen or the bottom, and we're not really sure what that icon does. There's no way to close that application, and that application might be looking at all of our data, looking at all of our web traffic, like you mentioned. So it makes users and employees a bit uneasy. And when I think of cybersecurity, I think of, this industry existing because of all of the breaches. Like there were so many breaches that we've had, we had to give it a term and we had to build a complete industry out of it. So from your experience, what is the calling for honest security? What, where did this originate from? And have you seen any war stories that of dishonest or non-transparent security? Yeah, I think there's a ton of, I, I've talked about honest security now with, with a ton of different people. And I think everybody who resonates with it, they have something that has happened to them in their past that has really made them question the practices that are currently considered the norm from a detection standpoint that secu- security teams practice today. 
And I think fundamentally, this isn't something that's new. And for me personally, when we started Collide, this was something that I wanted to get into. But I was really looking to folks in the industry today that had rejected the existing commercial software out there. So specifically, Jesse Chris from Netflix, he was someone who's currently the face of what they call user-focused security. And um, Netflix is, is an incredible company because they are very open about their culture and they're very intentional about having a culture based on trusting people, treating them like adults, giving them the tools that they need to do their job and not treating them as, as suspects from day one. So when you're really serious about your culture and, and you work at one of these companies, the key thing to do is not to just let the tidal wave of commercial software that exists in the market just wash over you and really take down that culture that you're supposed to be intentional about. Instead, it's, it's to push back and say, listen, if we're really a culture first company and we're serious about that, then we need to take this culture and apply it uh, to every single thing that we're doing. And that even includes security. And that's very much the spirit of user-focused security at Netflix, where essentially we want to take these primary directives that we have for a culture and say, listen, these are things that we're not willing to give up. I don't care if there's no solutions out there. Let's build our own. And, and that's exactly what the security team did at Netflix. And, and Jesse has done a really good job of documenting that journey and talking to the press and, and blogging about it. And one of the cool things that, that they do is they make sure that it's very transparent to the end users exactly what the security team wants from their end users. And they treat it as an educational exercise. It's not really about locking down their devices and putting them in a, putting end users in a position where they don't really even understand why their device is in a certain state, why they can't turn off their firewall, why they can't do this and that. It's about giving them the recommendations from the security team and having that be an actual teachable moment versus it being something that you're just like, oh, I'm just not allowed to do this. I don't really know why, but I'm just going to you know, assume that the security team has my best interests at heart. These are opportunities where Netflix has, has realized these are teachable moments. We can get people to understand and even empathize with the security team. And we trust them that they know the things that they need to do to get their job done. So if they need to turn off their firewall for a few minutes because they're messing around with Docker or they have some other reason that's valid, they can do that and they understand what the true risk is because they, they're they being treated like adults or being treated like peers on the security team, not as people who are security ignorant or obstacles of making the organization secure. And that's what dishonest security does is it, it really just assumes end users are just not going to be able to get this stuff and let's just ex extract them from the equation and let's really treat this like an automation problem. Let's just lock down these devices. Let's, with a one-click product, get everything to like a specific set of compliance standards. And if the end user is impacted by that, it's not really our problem. It's really their problem. And, and we're in charge of making sure that the, the, the company is compliant and secure. And that's exactly the opposite of what Netflix did. And that was a huge inspiration for us at Clyde when we were building our product. And to me, the time is now to now not have this just be a product or a specific open source project at Netflix. Let's actually codify this as a true term that people in the industry can point to and say, I want that. This is what my culture should be about in my organization. It should be about honesty. It should be about transparency. Without the transparency, I think we all, like we all work in cybersecurity, we create obstacles for our users without that level of transparency. And when you have those obstacles, 
the users will begin to try to get around those obstacles, especially if they can't disable their VPN or disable their firewall or disable their uh, endpoint uh, tool. At some point, they're going to try to find a workaround. And I see this a lot for data loss prevention. Maybe you're not allowed to use Google Drive or right. another cloud storage solution. Have you ever experienced someone or users' organizations burning their employees because they're taking these actions and going around these obstacles to do something personal on their work device? Yes, it's pretty common. And I think that we can all think of a time where even as security practitioners, we've maybe even skirted our own rules so that we can actually get our job done. And, and that's the problem, right, is we have folks that are out there today, they're working from home now, and their personal laptop is within arm's reach. And so if you add all this friction to their daily experience, their screen lock is set to 30 seconds. They can't you know, use any of the USB ports on their device. Everything's locked down. They don't have administrative privileges and they need to install something in order to get their work done. They're just going to give up and, and they're going to use their personal devices because it's easier than ever for them to do that and, and likely get away from it, get away with it. And I think what the security team needs to understand is you're creating a scenario where now, because they've done that, they've moved to their personal device, you don't have any visibility anymore. You have no idea what they're doing now. And um, that's a much worse situation than where you were at before, where maybe you don't have to lock down their device as much, but you have a little bit of visibility. And by the way, it's so important to be transparent about what you're doing, because it's not just for the benefit of the end user, it's for the benefit of the security team. I've talked to a ton of folks that are in a security or an IT role today, and with their existing tools, they've found something evil on an end user's device, but it's not something that is actually a risk to the company. Like a good example of this is like an evil Chrome extension on Google Chrome, where it's like maybe some sort of search toolbar and it's exfiltrating their browser history and sending it off to some sort of marketing firm. And, and it's not good. But at the end of the day, it's not really something that is going to be a priority for that specific company to really deal with. Most of the security people I talk to that are in this situation, they want to reach out to the end user and they want to explain to them, hey, we have tools in place that you know, allow us to detect this stuff. And even though this isn't something that is uh, a problem for the company, this isn't something that's good for you. And we want you to take care of it or you should take care of it. They can't have those discussions because they have to broach the topic now of, oh, by the way, we have like your entire device under full surveillance. That's why we're able to detect this. There's a human being in the loop looking at this data. They don't even want to go there because they're not even sure what the end user's perspective is of what level of monitoring is even in place. And they just don't want to have to go through that giant mountain of educating them about why it's good and it's not creepy, by the way. They can't do that. They're locked up because most organizations just don't have any sort of formal way of communicating that. And yes, it's always in like the the employment agreement that you sign that, yeah, there's some monitoring there, but you sign that you're, on your first day, you forget about it. Maybe you get yearly training. Maybe there's a PowerPoint out there from the security team, but ultimately that's it. There's not any kind of concept of consent to this stuff, like where you're consenting to it on a regular basis or leaving giving you like a resource where you can look on a regular basis, see what they are actually looking for and when that happens. Those tools just don't exist today. And as a result, the security team can't even do their job and, and just be good people that are ethical in general because the tools don't allow them to be. 
in conjunction with this podcast, there's going to be a manifesto that you all release. And one of the concepts that stood out most in my mind was this concept of empathetic intelligence. I'd love to hear what empathetic intelligence is, share that with our listeners, but then also give us a story of when this concept wasn't being applied. Yeah. So if you think about how intel is generated today in the cybersecurity industry, you typically are starting from an attacker's perspective. You have you know, you know, a specific attacker in mind. They have sources and methods and tools. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to create intel that eventually leads to detection that allows you to specifically know when those individuals are trying to do something evil within your organization. So you're reverse engineering their tool set, their malware. You're looking for tool marks to understand how can you actually create detection that's long-lived. And this is incredibly effective. But what it misses is a whole other side of this equation, which are what are the things that end users are doing on a regular basis through either their own ignorance or lack of education or just out of convenience to themselves that are actually generating risk in your organization. And in order to conceive of those issues, you're not really starting from like a piece of malware and reversing like network and and host-based indicators. You're starting from someone else's mindset where you're thinking about their daily life, you're thinking about what they need to do every day in their job, and the things that they might be doing that put the company at risk. So like a good example of this, of empathetic intelligence is let's say, for example, we're trying to empathize with someone who is a developer and you're trying to think about their daily workflow and you're thinking about someone who's trying to you know, fix a, a major issue in production. And what are the types of things that this person might do that might put the company at risk? Number one is, okay, they're trying to fix something in production, so they're likely going to want to recreate that problem on their device. So they're going to go and they're going to try to get access to a production copy of the database. They're going to bring that you know, into their system locally, they're going to set up the code and, and then try to recreate that problem. They'll fix the problem, they'll push the, the patch, and then they'll move on with their day. Wait a minute, what happened to that production backup that they had to pull onto their device to even set up their environment that right way? Did it, anything ever happen to it? It's probably still there. I wonder if we can actually put together some sort of detection that looks for that. Let's analyze all the files on the device and see if any were downloaded from the Amazon production console and, and and see if those are there. Oh, wow, there's 30 of them there. And now that we have that, let's create a way for us to reach out to those people at scale and let them know that they shouldn't be doing this. And after 48 hours, they need to get these things off their device. Oh, let's take that a step further. I use things like Google Drive or, or Dropbox. Are these things being accidentally synced to, to their personal Google Drive and, and Dropbox? Or can we build detection around that? So those are the types of things that empathetic intelligence allows you to think. You, you think through how someone is actually going to do their job, and then you can identify ways where there's risk and then codify that into intel and detection tools. And then from there, you can use the other tenets of honest security about reaching out to folks, having a conversation with them, and make that an actual teachable moment where now that person who's been contacted knows that they're not really supposed to have a production copy of the database on their device for more than the time necessary for them to recreate a problem. In fact, we've trusted, we've, we, our customers trust that's not happening. Well, now we can educate that instead of it just laying flat in like an acceptable usage document that nobody's really reading. 
it's at the time that the violation happened that we can actually reach out and offer a recommendation that's actually contextually relevant. That's what honest security is all about. I, I love everything that you're saying, but the one thing that I think about now, and it's all it's been all the rage for the last five years or so, is insider threat programs. So when you're having conversations with a potential insider threat, you're almost like tipping your hand. So how do you balance that? Being communicative to your users and being transparent, but then also ensuring that someone that is doing something malicious within your company isn't basically getting a free pass. Yeah. And I want to clarify something because this is probably the number one question that we get when I ever talk about honest security is what about insider threat? And the reality is that insider threat is a real concern. So I I don't want to start off saying, you know what, it's really not a problem. I think it is something that people have to consider. But ultimately, it should be treated, we, when we calculate risk in the security industry, we think about things in terms of their impact if they were to come true, but also the likelihood of those things coming true. And we design a system to mitigate the intersection of those two variables. And ultimately, that's how you have to approach something like insider threat. And if you try to create a situation where it's just physically impossible to exfiltrate you know, sensitive data in the company and you treat all of your employees under the guise of these people are just potential criminals waiting to happen. We're hiring people, but as soon as they come you know, into the company, we don't trust them. That's not an appropriate response to the probability and impact of a single insider threat. It's not to lock down everybody and, and treat them like they're in jail right be- before they've even committed a crime. That's the opposite way uh, to handle that. And it's easy to recognize that that's wrong when you just apply a simple analogy. If you have someone in the office that's just stealing office supplies all the time, that doesn't mean the first time that happens, now we have to chain everything to the desks because now we no longer trust these people anymore because one right. person wrecked that trust for everybody. That's how you should be thinking about it the same way on the end user devices. Just because someone was doing something wrong doesn't mean now we have to lock down these devices to a level that's just absolutely insane. And my recommendation for people is to think about it this way. We're used to like holding close to our chests our sources and methods of how we detect the bad guys. But for insider threat, the actual knowledge of what the security team's detection capabilities are and what they are looking for and being open and transparent about that, that can actually be a a pretty significant deterrent to someone who might be thinking about becoming an insider threat. If they understand the level of rigor that's happening there in the security team and that they have their act together so much that they have this honest security program, that person, in my opinion, is going to be much less likely um, to try to do something that undermines the organization. And I, I can't tell you that how many companies that we talk to where we're pitching our product And we talk to a a skeptical security person and they say to us, you know what, this is all great. I just don't trust my, I don't trust the people that work here. And every time that I hear that, I go to their website, I go to their hiring page and I see the first thing in there in terms of like company values is like trustworthiness or honesty. (laughs) And it's just, it just kills me that there are security teams out there that probably through their own experience They've caught a few insider threats, and now they have just this blanket hatred or cynicism towards end users, and and that kind of colors everything that they're doing. It's just the wrong way to go, and I think that you can still be open and transparent 
and adhere to the tenets of honest security and still competently detect and prevent insider threat. Those are not goals that have to be oppositional to each other. I would imagine that right now it's probably a really great time to start adopting new philosophies like honest security. A lot of organizations and even individuals like myself are going through digital transformation, using more cloud applications, using different tools and different workflows than what I'm used to. But as we transform into more digital assets and devices, it can be somewhat challenging to do the right thing and actually make sure that your philosophies are implemented correctly. What are some ways that you'd recommend someone were to crawl, walk, or run to this uh, goal? So I, when I talk to uh, organizations today, there's really two phases of honest security that, and the phases are really about you know, the actual benefits that you get as an employer or a security team that's implementing this philosophy. The first is education. And I think that's the first thing that really should be on your list is how can we build security culture into the DNA, the fabric of our organization. And the best way to educate people isn't to just give them a yearly training PowerPoint because that's what you need to do to pass your SOC 2 audit. These things that people, they all sit down, there's just this something in the air about, I really don't have to pay attention to this. We're just doing this because we have to type of attitude that permeates that, that experience. And then you have these massive acceptable use policies that just lay flat on the page and people read them once and then they never read them again. That's not the right way to educate folks about how to stay secure and how to competently use the modern devices and SaaS applications that we have at our disposal today. The right way to do it is for the security team to figure out how to codify all the different recommendations that they potentially want to give to end users and then deliver them at the point in which that person is going to be the most receptive to learn them typically when they've just maybe made an error. A good example of this is passwords. Passwords are a really tough topic for people because we have to now deprogram ourselves of all the horrible advice that we've had for the first 10 years of our, our careers around, oh, we need this many special characters and it has to do this and that. And a lot of that stuff, and we have to change the password every 10 seconds or it's, it's going to be compromised. These are all things that we found out actually hurt the security of passwords. So now we have to teach them something new. What is the right way to do that? It's at the point in which they're thinking about setting the password or they're downloading their first password manager. Can we detect that moment in time and then say, listen, we see that you are trying to set a password or you're, you've downloaded a password manager. Did you know like our company actually pays for one password and we have one password for teams and here's our whole document around how you should set secure passwords and this is what you should do when um, it's time for you to set up your first two-factor authentication and you should stay away from SMS. Like these are the types of things that you can do at the time period that they're already engaged in that activity. And you can be honest about that. We're going to be doing some detection on your device so that we can send you these recommendations at that time. So if you implement just that part of honest security, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be increasing the knowledge and you're going to be educating your entire workforce about what are good and bad practices as they're using their devices and these applications on a regular basis. There's no better way to do it than, than do it at the point of performance when they're actually doing those things. Now, the problem, the problem, and this is why there's two pieces to this, is that all this does is increase education. It does not necessarily increase 
the actual performance of your security program, meaning your devices are still going to be somewhat uncompliant. You're going to have folks there that maybe they understand and they have been educated, but they just don't care. They, they don't have the time to really adhere to the recommendations from the security team. So the second half of honest security, and this is the realistic part of this, is to actually think about the performance aspect. It's to actually generate consequences for when important security advice is not followed by the team. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, consequences, uh, honesty, are those really <laughs> compatible terms? It's, now it's starting to get scary again. It's not. In terms of actually, at the end of the day, this isn't just some fluff thing where we want to put it out there and like power to the people and everybody rise up and we're, we're going to take off these. We're going to we're going to basically be in a position where we're, we're not under the thumb of the security team anymore. That's not what we're doing. Like we're trying to have a conversation between the security team and the end users, not give the end users unlimited power and say security really isn't that important. Just educate yourself and do your own thing. That's not what honest security is. The performance aspect of this is to make sure that when people are not in a position where they're listening to the recommendations, they're not keeping their computer up to date. They're not installing critical Google Chrome patches that prevent their machine from being compromised by web, web pages that have been crafted to exploit them. They have consequence to that, meaning they lose access to the VPN if they stop listening for a few days, or they lose access to a specific SaaS app that they need. And that's important to do that because in the real world, not listening to security recommendations does generate consequences that are pretty significant, but they're not guaranteed to be consequences that always happen. And that's really important because you have people that are out there that are always willing to take the risk. And unless you generate these artificial consequences at the time period that they're no longer listening to the recommendations then you know there's a good chance that there may not be actual any tangible consequences until something incredibly serious happens where their device is compromised and that leads to the entire organization being compromised or a crypto locker gets installed and everything and the whole company gets taken down from something like that. And so it's very important to actually generate those types of consequences. But, and here's the most important part, this is different than typical management software where you just start from the perspective that nobody can handle this. We're going to lock everybody down. That's not the right way to solve this. But if you can give end users an opportunity to try to do it themselves, and then maybe there's a certain portion of that user base that says, you know what? I really appreciate the fact that my company trusts me to keep my computer up to date and install patches within a few days of them being available. I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. I have ADD or I have something. I, I just... It's just not going to happen for me. We need to be, I, I'm willing now to opt in to the management that's going to allow me now to access the tools that I need to access. Because I, I recognize in myself that I'm just not able to do that. And I can accept the management of that now. It now seems like a benefit. Like, oh, wow, the company's actually going to do this for me, keep my device up to date. Like that now seems like an incredible benefit because I've now proven to myself that this is just something I don't want to deal with. It's just not something that I want to be part of my daily experience using my device. And that's when you can introduce them to, hey, did you, this company has MDM and you can have these updates be automatically installed and you don't have to worry about losing access to the VPN or losing access to the internal GitHub repository or whatever. That's how you actually generate uh, good performance on top of this type of system 
but you give people the freedom to make that decision and opt in to the management, not just assume that everybody needs it out of the gate. And that really creates the best of both worlds. When I think about performance, I think about sports. I think about the times I've spent my entire life, I've been in one sport or another. And when I think about sports, I think about coaches. And coaches are there to not only teach you aspects of the game that you're playing and help you get better, but also to motivate you. So I'd love to hear how motivation plays a role in honest security. And also tell us about the honest security coach. Yeah. So one of the things that we understood right away when we started thinking about in our own product, Collide, how can we make organizations successful with this new way of thinking? The first thing that we learned is that this is a pretty big cultural paradigm shift for most organizations. In fact, when you become more transparent about the tools that are being installed on the end user devices and you give them that level of access, it can actually have the opposite effect that you intend. People are suddenly like, wait a second, this thing can enumerate the apps I have installed and things like that. And you're being open about it. And that can sometimes create this backlash of people being like, I don't remember this being the case before, when in fact, they've already been subjected to tools that have been doing way worse than that, but they just never been given any sort of visibility into that problem. So the coach's job in this scenario is to recognize the fact that this is a major cultural shift. It's to frame what they're trying to do and why the organization is doing it and talk about it honestly and, and frame it in this sort of positive light so people understand what the alternatives are that are out there. And, and not only that, be a point of contact for the people that need to reach out to understand what this thing actually does and to get someone that they already trust buy-in and endorsement of the entire system. It's so important that person exists because every once in a while when you roll something out like this out, we're uh, a system, our product specifically allows you to detect things on Linux. And usually we're the first tool ever that has ever made its way onto like a Linux engineer's device, like from, from the security team. Like they've been able so far to avoid any sort of management. They've been able to avoid antivirus just because they're on some wacky flavor of Linux that no one's ever heard of. And now suddenly, oh my gosh, we're actually roped into this as well. And those people push back really hard because they've had just such negative experiences with security tools in the past. The coach is so important there because it helps them uh, recognize they they can work with them, they can build that relationship and then get them to a place where they can understand the system, they can provide feedback and they can create that trusted channel of communication. And that's what this is at the end of the day. It's about building the relationship between the security team and the end users. And if you have someone there who can play the role of coach and to coach people through this experience, help them understand what's there, but also be a source for someone to actually give feedback to when it's not working. That's how you actually, you know, create positive change in your organization. And it allows everybody to, to really work together at a human level versus just silently being in a position where they're just miserable and they have no one to talk to and they're just passively accepting things. And at the end of the day, they end up uninstalling it or something like that. So that's what the coach is there for. And anybody who's ever had to do something really big from a change perspective in their company culture knows that having a point of contact is so essential in making that process work. And that's the honest security coach. Outstanding. I think this is great. I love to see this out in the community. Jason, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for hopping on the mics with us. For the folks that want to keep up to date with you and all the things you're doing with honest security, what is the best way that people can do that? 
Yeah, so by the time that this airs, we're going to have a whole site dedicated to honest security. It's going to be completely separate from Collide. The goal here is we want folks to really embrace this across the industry. We want to create competitors in our space so that there's a number of different options for people to choose from, commercial, open source, that are all practicing the tenets of honest security. To learn more about that, go to honest.security. And that's it. That's the whole URL. We got one of those new fancy TLDs. And if you want to follow me specifically, you can hit me up on Twitter at jmeller, J-M-E-L-E-R. And if you want to check out Collide, just go to collide.com, K-O-L-I-D-E.com. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jason. We'll be dropping all of those in the show notes. Really appreciate it and highly recommend everyone to check out those resources. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.